1: has the challenge of having an atmosphere that is prophetic in nature, and it's pioneering apostolically, taking ground. So my burden for you on a prophetic weekend is to give you a blueprint for why you're doing what you're doing and where you're going. Because if you, if you could see your, your face in a... Let's put it this way. If I give you a puzzle with like a thousand pieces, and uh, I show you the whole complex picture it's easy then for you to to deal with this is a tree and this is a mountain. Because you see the picture over here, you start to really move fast. If you don't know what the finished product looks like, it gets very confusing. But the finished product for us in America is much different than we've been taught. Because most of our theology is shaped around a couple of narratives that says that the spiritual is what's important, the natural is not important. And because the spiritual is important, the eternal is obviously more important than the temporal, and the sacred is more important than the secular, and uh, the Antichrist is coming, the rapture is going to happen, there's an end-time harvest, so all your energy gets focused on this idea of not occupying any territory, everything's going to go to the devil, you're doing a rear-guard action while you're working here, trying to get as many people saved as possible, and any day you're out of here. That's the predominant theological worldview that the West has. And that's why we're losing, because we've already accepted the fact that we lose. So what are you doing? Why are you even investing in campuses? What are you doing? You're putting all this energy into doing this. Because in your spirit, God's telling you, this is what you're called to do. I want to give you the complex, the box, the puzzle box, picture real quick. So in uh, God's Chaos Code, what I start with is this. I was actually very happy preaching and doing my own thing with Seven Mountains, and I pioneered a message. I had a consulting company. I do convergence coaching. I like helping leaders get into the assignment that they've got, but something happened. I, uh, I got a call from uh, Rick Joyner to tell me to go to a meeting in Florida where there was a billionaire that wanted to talk to me as a friend of his. And I go fly down to this meeting, and it's in a garage with metal chairs and a rickety, uh, you know, b- whiteboard. And I'm looking at this thing, and the billionaire never showed up. So I'm down there with like 100 people, and I'm preaching away, because everywhere I go, I just give 100%, because I never know who's there. And I, and I give 100%, and I do my little seven-mountain thing, and I'm on the flight home, and the devil is like sitting next to me saying, what a loser. What are you doing with your life? You got friends that are doing TBN, they got huge ministries, mega churches. So what are you flying around talking to garages with metal chairs? To having a divine appointment that doesn't show up. Wow. And I was like beating myself up thinking, well, I gotta get my act together. But I'm praying in tongues. I start praying in tongues even more. Because I'm a big believer that, that, that when you're praying in an unknown tongue, it's designed like a prayer, it's gonna be answered, and I'm praying into the mystery of what God's calling me to do because I'm pioneering off the map. Everybody is in Toronto and in a revival. Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson, these are all my friends. And God's, I'm in the revival and I'm saying, this isn't it. This is, this is good. This is temporary. There's seven mountains. We've got to watch out for media. Media Mountain is going to be taken over. It's going to be a vast thing. Watch out for academia. Look at the education system. It's going to be taken over making the acolytes for hell. Watch the government. We're not involved with government enough. We need to watch the laws, the Supreme Court. I'm off on seven mountains. Everyone else is in revival, and there's a move of God, and it's all going to get fixed with some kind of a pixie dust anointing. I don't know, but it didn't happen that way. And I'm loving it. I'm in the revival, but I'm kind of like a weirdo because I'm outside of it. I go to these meetings. Now, I come back, and uh, my secretary calls me up. She goes, you're going to fire me. I go, why would I fire you? She said, well, two weeks ago, you got a call to go meet with Donald Trump at Trump Towers, and I didn't know it. Somehow, I didn't play the answering machine properly, and so I said, well, when's the meeting? He's said, you and Kim Clement are supposed to be meeting him tomorrow. Wow. So I'm going, I go up to, I said, well, uh, tomorrow. So I call Kim. Kim goes, yes, indeed, I'm invited to this meeting. It's a group of select uh, evangelical leaders are going to meet with Donald Trump. He's he's running for president. He wants, he feels like he needs to meet with Christian leaders before he does this. So I fly up. It's the next day. So it's like I just barely missed this thing. And I I fly up to this meeting, and I'm sitting there. And this meeting up at Trump Towers is there. But Kim doesn't show up because Kim at this point had a stroke, and this is it. I'm now there without my prophet friend. And I'm sitting there going, where's Kim? And now I have to figure out for myself what's God doing. So I'm there now, and Trump is talking with us about, about what his plans are, what he's doing. To make a long story short, there's these eruptions happening, disruptions in his rallies. There's, he's being called a racist and, uh, and, and a hate speech guy. And he goes, I'm not. He goes, anybody that knows me, he goes, my gosh. He said, "I'm you know, he said, I, he said this, is, this is absurd. I have all these accusations. I don't understand why there is all this battle and this racial tension and all these accusations coming. I'm a business guy from New York. I just want to fix this thing. Like it's really funny. He had a Freudian slip. He said, instead of make, make, you know, make America great again, he said, I just want to make my company great again. And I said, no, God, God's probably calling a CEO to go fix this business because we're, we're, you know, we're going out of business. So anyway, so we had this meeting, and everything's flying around, and the Lord gave me a word for Trump, but I didn't plan on telling it to him. I told it to Daryl Scott, who was one of his friends there, and I said, I think the Lord's telling me that Donald Trump is an Isaiah 45. I heard the Lord say the next president of the United States will be an Isaiah 45 president. I like, came into my ear like that. And I thought, this is really weird. I'm, I'm hearing God like Kim Clement used to hear God. And so I'm saying, the next president will be an Isaiah 45 president. And I tell Daryl, and I said to him, I on the phone, I go, I think this guy actually could be president. You know why? I looked up Isaiah 45, and it's about a guy named Cyrus. Cyrus was a ruler who wasn't a Jew who God raised up for the sake of the Jews. I think God's not raising up a Christian we're praying in. I think he's got an anointed heathen he's putting in office. I said, he'll probably end up becoming a Christian. I said, but the church isn't ready for this because they already have their favorite Christian evangelical candidate, and they got Mike Huckabee or Ben Carson or Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio. Oh, you line them up. Every one of them has a great story. They know how to talk to Christians and evangelicals. They have compelling testimonies. Donald Trump comes along, it's all thumbs, can't do it. (laughs) The Bible says, Isaiah 45, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, whom I've anointed, though you do not know me, I have raised you up to go into Babylon, the two lead gates of Babylon, to break it apart. And I am doing this for my people Israel's sake. Well, I, I I actually give Trump the word. I said, I, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm telling you, you're walking around with your mother's Bible and you're talking to us like, you know, you're trying to build, I, the truth of the matter is we know you're not actually an evangelical Christian, but we don't mind, <laughs> we, we love the effort you're putting into building a bridge, we think like, it's great, but listen, the, the only way, reason why you're succeeding so so historically, in spite of the way that you tend to say things that assassinate yourself and you still recover. I said, you're like George Washington. He gets all these horses shot off from under him. You're indestructible as long as you're walking in the purpose for which you were created. So he came up to me afterward, and he said, you know, I want you to know that what you said. And I was thinking, it's so funny when you talk to people that aren't Christians. They don't have Christianese down. Because we would say, you know, that really ministered to me. That really blessed me. That, boy, I bore witness to me." Really. He looks at me, he goes, you know, that word you gave, just gave me there, that really... Uh, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm thinking, I'm trying to coach it in, I don't, I don't. he doesn't speak Christianese. Puts his hand down here, he goes, it meant a lot. <laughs> I said, that's the secular language, that meant a lot. All right, so I get back to my, after I prophesy over him, It's weird room, it's tense, it's filled with all this racial tension, economic tension, spiritual, Trump towers, and I'm thinking, man, this is a long way from the shire with the hobbits I hang out with. So I said to the Lord, what am I doing here? I'm literally, under my breath, this is so alien to everything I've experienced in life. This is weird. Yeah. And uh, the Lord says to me, every time you pray in tongues, you tell me this is what you want to do. Wow. Which is why I want all, that's why I have breaking controlling spirits Is one of these products here. You need to get it. Every time you pray, you see, I told you, after my weird meeting with the billionaire that didn't show up, I, said, I started praying in tongues more and saying, what am I doing with my life? Lord, I know that I'm, I'm exploring a map of the future, and I know the church isn't all there right now, but at least I need some evidence that I'm not off. So here's what happens. When I, when I get to that meeting, the meeting I leave, Trump Towers, but what I didn't tell you is this. When I got there, I'm looking around. I see there's Kenneth Copeland, there's Jan Crouch, there's Paula White, there's Jensen Franklin. Every megachurch pastor is going to make one of those trips up there. And all the TV preachers are going to be there. And me, I'm kind of like hidden away. I'm like the, I'm like the ninja sheep. I, I, deli- I function. I'm in government. I'm in foreign governments. I'm in corporate headquarters. I'm with entertainers. It's better for me not to be too public sometimes. Because when they find out what I do, when my name gets out there, they freak out. Because they, I'm actually in their houses. You know, I mean, I'm where the strong man is. So, so I get there, and I'm looking at all these celebrity preachers that are well-known. And I go up to the doorman, who's got a clipboard, and I said, out of curiosity, uh, is my name on there? I just want to make sure that I'm not accidentally showing up, and like the guy, you know, without the wedding garment, and the Bible gets kicked out, you know, so it's like, I don't think I'm in this group here. And he stands there, he goes, yeah, you're in the group. He goes, you know why you're in the group? Because I put you in the group, I'm the guy that organized the meeting." I said, well, how do you know me? He said, well, I was at this garage meeting in Florida. He goes, some weird thing, all those metal chairs and a whiteboard, and you're up there, and God tells me you have to meet Donald Trump. He says, so then when I heard about this meeting, they came to me. I said, I know the one guy's supposed to be there. Aww. So that's how I got involved. I going, and but at that moment, think about how you go through this battle yeah, yeah. when it doesn't make sense when you're going through it, and God has no obligation to explain to you, by the way, you're not gonna meet a billionaire, you're gonna meet someone else who's gonna set you up with Donald Trump. Don't worry about it. You have to go by faith and just say, All I'm doing is obeying. But here's what happens. The prophets Jeremiah and the prophets Isaiah, they prophesied about Babylon coming. The church of that day was going to go into Babylon. And there was a prophecy that God was going to raise up Osiris. And so I'm at, I'm at a meeting at Focus on the family headquarters. It was very odd. And it was a Lou Engel event, which was unusual too that I was there. Because Lou's always passionate about revival, revival. And I'm more Reformation. My frustration is the church is always passionate about thinking about revival. The problem is, Everybody wants revival because that's our party. It's like signs, wonders, Jesus, angels, feathers, falling down, hallelujah, church growth, finances. It's a pastor's (laughs) dream to have revival. Souls coming left and right, powerful expansion. Reformation, on the other hand, it's like if you know your Bible, there's Rachel, who Jacob loved Rachel. She was the voluptuous woman that he wanted to marry, and she had a somewhat less attractive sister named Leah. And what we find out is he, he gets married, works seven years for the voluptuous beauty, Rachel. He gets into the tent on his wedding night. He wakes up the next morning, and who's in bed with him? It's Leah, not Rachel. And he's upset. He's going, what happened? And his father-in-law says, well, listen, you know, she's the firstborn. We have It's inappropriate for you to be marrying the secondborn. So work another seven years, and you'll get Rachel. So he works another seven years for Rachel. Now he has Rachel, and he has Leah. But here's the point. When it comes to his legacy, it wasn't Rachel, the beautiful thing that he wanted, that was his real fruitfulness. Judah, who would become the ultimate messianic line, came through Leah. The priesthood, Levi, came through Leah. The tribal system came through Reuben and Simeon to see God, to hear God, to be joined with God, and to rule with God came through the unattractive sister of his passion. Which means you, you have an idea what you want, but God knows your ultimate fruitfulness may not be the thing that you really want. It's what you don't want that he's going to give you the fruit in. And I'm telling you, revival is Rachel, reformation is Leah. She may not be attractive, but that's where the fruit's going to be. So when we talked in the first service about the seven mountains, there's these Seven world kingdoms, this, the religion and family, education and government, and media and arts, and then business over here, the uh, economics. I challenge you if you study these seven verticals, these seven institutions, they are the powers that actually shape the minds of nations. So when you look at a country like the United States, you look at who took over the top, the gates of influence in education. Who are the woke corporations that Larry Fink and BlackRock are now pressuring into woke agendas on Wall Street? Who took over the production, the banking system in Hollywood? Who has actually taken over the media in New York, the five companies that own 90% of the fake news media? Who's operating behind the election thefts or the ballot productions or the software inside of the government? You take a look at all those areas, what you're going to see is this. These gates of influence have been occupied by devils only because the church doesn't show up. So the gates of influence are actually where the gates of hell congregate because all hell is interested in doing is taking authority over the minds of the masses. Satan's job is to go forth as a deceiver. That's a mental game. He does it through fake news, education, false religion, government legislating and normalizing what is, what is contrary to God's teaching, all of those mind-moulders of culture, those seven institutional high places, just like the high places of the Old Testament, that's where the false priests, the false religion, and the false prophets congregate in the secular world. So they occupy, should it be any wonder, now just catch this with me, if, if revival is for the religion mountain... I'm all for revival, because what is revival? It's passionately being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, who would be against that? That's prerequisite for living on pleasure. But it's designed so that we go ye into all of these areas. Now think about this. think about this soberly. I will build my church. The popular word there that we suddenly become infatuated with is "ecclesia, or ecclesia. Ecclesia means the government of God that is in a handful of people that represent the interests of God. So Jesus says, I will build my church, or I will build my ecclesia. When he's saying this, he's borrowing a word that already existed. Fascinating, he did not choose a word in Hebrew idiom like synagogue or temple. Surely a rabbi would say, I will build my synagogue, I will build my temple. He chooses a word from Greek culture used by Alexander the Great that had to do with a group of legislative people in a city that had the power to establish rules for that neighborhood. I will build my own legislative authority in the earth, and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. Now, unpack it. Because religious spirits have confined us to revival, antichrist, rapture, and end-time harvest thinking, we We block ourselves off here in the religion mountain, furiously doing what we can to get the gospel out there and avoiding all of these controversial territories. Meanwhile, Jesus says, go ye into all the world. Why? Because these gates at the top of your city shall not prevail against my church. I will build my church, my governing ecclesia, And the authorities of hell that occupy those high places will not be able to outpower you. Now, that was actually the promise of Jesus. So when I look at that and I go, well, I put these steps here for a reason. When I was with Lou Engel at that meeting, and he really was going to go political. He wanted to go in revival. And I didn't want to go political, but I'm saying we've got to get involved with this Trump thing. Well, we don't want to get into politics. We got, so I... I break out my theory of the case before the election. And I wrote a book on it for this reason. I said, I believe the prophets have been prophesying America is going to be saved. There's going to be a great outpouring and a great harvest. They're prophesying something's coming in America. I think just as the parallel in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Isaiah prophesied as prophets about what was coming. I believe our prophets and intercessors are crying out to God for a move and I'm even doing this as I'm doing this, like Lou Engel does. And, and they're crying out. And as they're praying, I believe God is giving us an unlikely candidate. He will be an offense to the religious spirit. Three times divorce. That'll go over great with the Baptists. But what is God saying? He's saying, you want a nice knight in shining armor that appeals to your Christian sensibilities when you're not doing the job? I will send to you a rough soldier. I will offend the religious spirit. I will give you a Samson whose embarrassing history with Philistine babes will be broadcast. But he will slay Philistines. And so I started talking about Cyrus Trump. Isaiah 45. The one guy that wasn't a Christian was the guy God was going to choose because God is not as religious as we are. So what happens after Cyrus? Cyrus comes along, and then they have a bad ruler. Oh, this is fascinating. The Bible is so, so meticulously accurate. The next chapter is you have a ruler that comes along that actually is against Israel. And, well, what do the Jews do? God sends Cyrus and he gives Cyrus, puts him in, order, in office for the purpose of God's people building God's house. you got to catch this because there's a code embedded in Scripture that pretty much will shock you when you see how it foretells what's happening. But because it's not what we theologically are talking about, we miss it. Here's the history of Israel. The prophets prophesy and the intercessors pray. God sends a deliverer. The Deliverer is there, and while the Deliverer is there, it's for the purpose of the Jews taking the territory they never took before to build God's house, or in San Diego, houses. And it's going to be this guy named Zerubbabel, and uh, it's going to be a guy by the name of Joshua. This guy is going to be the priest. This guy is going to be the governor. Basically, it's going to be a partnership of the church and the seven mountains together to build a house that penetrates all of culture. And out of that is going to come a guy named Nehemiah, working with Ezra, another governor working with another priest, another seven mountain partnership. And their job is to build walls and restore the gates. What are the walls? The collapsed walls of culture where we don't know the difference between a man and a woman, a socialist and a capitalist, between a marriage uh, of, a, of, a, of a man a heterosexual marriage or another marriage, and you're out here in California. I know I can't talk about those things, but this is the extent to which the walls of definition, and the boundaries of culture have so collapsed that there's no definitive definition anymore. And when you bring forth one, you're guilty of blasphemy because it's a false religion is, is merged with government. So I have 200,000 uh, followers on YouTube taken from me Overnight, by some woke person who decided that I offended their belief system by committing the ultimate sacrilege of blasphemy, I said something that offended a censor in YouTube and lost a quarter of a million people. Thank God I'm not building a business off of that. But what is cancel culture? It's basically the the excommunication of the culture against anyone who's not bowing to the new belief system. Restoring walls and rebuilding gates. Where the gates of hell are located, God's dynamic apostolic house begins to recover territory to restore the boundaries of the word of God, the will of God, and the common sense of God over a culture. The walls and the gates restored because the house of God is rebuilt. This is the pattern. Cyrus comes. Cyrus comes, and then bad rulers come to put pressure on God's people to do the project he sent government to do, which is build my house. When they start to build the house, then the walls and the gates get restored. Then as the walls and gates get restored, Jesus visits that very location. And God comes Jesus walks into that city of Jerusalem, restored gates, restored walls. In divine timing, Jesus comes and visits that nation. This is the reason why, right now you're battling over. These areas of political areas and media and business and arts. God is calling you to go up the mountain, be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Does that make sense? And God will give rulers in answer to his people's prayers so that they can build the house of God that will engage the walls and the gates so that you can have ultimately, what most of us don't even look at, Matthew 25, it's called the sheep nation. We don't even have a theology for this. We're so willing to give the antichrist and the devil complete control of planet Earth, we forget that for three and a half years, three and a half years, not seven, three and a half years, the Bible says he goes forth to war and war and war. Why is he at war? Because there's obviously resistance. Where's the resistance coming from? Not everybody's cooperating. Our theology has us in a position of defeat and exit, when in fact the Bible might be saying that our job is to produce sheep nations against goat nations, and it will be kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. But as it comes out, three and a half years into this campaign of global domination, Jesus himself comes down and decides to end the whole campaign of the Antichrist. Now, there's a wild perspective of of end-time theology, but you tell me where that doesn't accord with what the Scripture teaches. And what's happening while that's happening Satan is being removed from the high places, and this is where it gets very interesting. During this whole, is this for my board? This for my face? Oh, a new board! Hallelujah! That's like a spiritual new beginning. Love it. All right, so does this make sense to you so far? Because what I'm trying to say to you is what you're doing in San Diego is you're taking over bases or houses like this so that you can go to the top of these other mind molders of culture so that in San Diego there can be a different kind of a church that is raised up that has influence at the gates. So this is Haggai is the book over here that deals with uh, an Ezra. And Nehemiah and Esther are the books that have to do with Israel returning to take the territory God called it to, and they take it in those seven spheres of influence. That's where God is calling you to go. So now the title of this message was supposed to be The Ultimate Game of Thrones, and I got kind of carried away there, but I'm telling you that the chaos code is the sequence. If you want to study those stages, we're right now in the combination of the house of God being rebuilt and a new breed of reformer revivalists. This means people that are revived, but 90% of the church is not called to a pulpit. 90% of the church is called to the ministry out in the culture. So my forefathers, the Levites, which is my bloodline, uh, the Ashkenazi Jews, they were the Levites. So the Levites would teach. 10% of Israel basically is pulpit equipping, teaching, and preaching. 90% 90% of Israel actually goes out and acquires territory. Wow. Wow. Our problem is we've got 90% of the people out there focusing on what the church is doing over here, but most of the churches here are not going out there. Yeah, right, right. Is it any wonder why we're losing a battle? And what's God's remedy for that? I want you to take a look at a couple of verses real quick. Because I, this is, what I'm giving you is actually a very biblical uh, uh, formula for the destiny, the prophecy... When you pray in tongues, you'll probably end up just like me in a place where you're going to say, what am I doing here? And the Lord will say, every time you pray, you tell me this is what you want to do. But if you don't have a map for it, you're wondering, why am I going out there when I should be going into ministry? Well, you are going to ministry out there. All right, so let's go to uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 15. Just take a quick look at this. I'm going to give you some Bible verses to think about. To show you that I'm not crazy, this is all 40 years, I've sat with every theologian, every revivalist imaginable, none of them actually debate me on these subjects. They all agree, even though this is a strange subject to go into. Here's where I'm at. Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 15. When Satan takes uh, Luke chapter 4, let's see, uh, da Oh, well, he ended every temptation. Right, let's go. So Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, chapter 4, verse 1. First of all, it's very likely that being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, delivered, and having your shredder experience might just lead you into a period of temptation rather than out of it. Because now that you've, now that you've removed all of the hindrances to your destiny, prophecy is in front of you. And in order for you to qualify for it, you're going to have to deal with the hindrances in you. So led by the Spirit into a a place of isolation. Even though you're in a crowd of people, you're wrestling with something. And being tempted for 40 days uh, by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, and you know these, these, these temptations, they're, they're identity challenges. If you are who you think you are, then what about this, and what about this? The number one thing I'm noticing with a great deal, of many people on the high calling of God, we don't have time to go long on this, is their personal history of failure. They have never dealt with it. Somehow, the devil will bring up to your remembrance your sins, your past, your failures, and he makes that the argument with why you're not ready to go into what God has for you. And I'm telling you right now, that's a work of hell. You have to resolve in your heart that you will make your conscience clean by the blood of Jesus and let no accusation hinder you from going where you've got to go. Then the devil takes him up to a high mountain. This is where I wanted to go. Verse five, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And uh, and the devil says to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomsoever I will. Therefore, if you worship me, all will be yours. First of all, I want to say this. Every one of these mountains, the movie business, the finance, all of them have a capacity to release glory to God. He shows them all the kingdoms and their glory. That means there's a glory in education. There's a glory in proper government. There's a glory in art. There's a glory in the family properly aligned with God. And the devil says, all of that was created by you and for you, but sorry to say, as you know, it was given to me. He's he's basically affirming in this temptation, the Genesis account, that Adam gave something up. And so the devil says, now you know that all of it must be so frustrating when you see these kingdoms meant for you. And they're actually mine. Now, you know how this works, Jesus of Nazareth. They're mine, so I give them to whom I will. I give to Julius Caesar Rome. I give to the Incan priests, the Mayan priests. I give to the Mao Ming dynasty. Jesus could see all the world kingdoms in a moment of time. No one else could see. He saw all the global empires of the earth. And they all can be given to you because I have the power to make that choice. Jesus. Now, this wouldn't have been a temptation if it wasn't true. So Satan evidently has the power to facilitate certain rock groups, certain artists, certain politicians have a, have a, have a demonic favor upon them to maneuver them into a position of influence. This is the parable of the tares and wheat. Jesus taught later, the enemy, while men slept, meaning his church slept, unaware the enemy planted Children of the devil. He planted those he wanted to dominate the education system. Those he wanted to dominate Hollywood movie industry. Those he wanted to dominate the banking. Satan will plant. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with him. He simply says that, uh, get behind me, Satan. For it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Get behind me. The issue for me isn't whether those kingdoms are mine or not. The issue is whether or not the Father has called me to take those kingdoms. My focus is not those kingdoms. My focus is obeying the Father. So Jesus resists the temptation of world dominion. This is important because most of us don't realize that the kingdoms of this world, in the book of Revelation, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Why did the kingdoms of this world become Jesus? Because by refusing Satan's offer, Jesus ended up shedding blood so that Satan's rule over earth was broken and the entire system went back to him. All the kingdoms, people miss this. All the kingdoms of this world belong to Jesus. You're not fighting to take over media or government or business, get this in your head. You are fighting to apply the purchased redemption blood of Jesus to the system. He's already bought it. It already belongs to him. It already belongs to him. What you're doing is you're redeeming it back to its original purpose. You have authority to bring it back in alignment with God because it's been bought by Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, the fact that this might not happen is the same as I can walk down. I remember one guy said, you know, if you believe in divine healing, why don't you just walk down the street and heal everybody that needs healing? And I said, well, if you believe in salvation, why don't you walk down the street and get everybody saved it's not saved? It's not that you couldn't be saved or healed. It's that not many respond. I'm telling you, cities and nations are going to begin to respond to the outpouring of God's spirit because God is raising up saints that are going to go into all these systems. Does that make sense to you? So I'm going to give it to whom I will. Now, what does Jesus say? Take a look at uh, Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives a response. At the end, he says to his disciples, this is fascinating. What's his response to the devil after Jesus comes out of the grave? He says uh, in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Look at that. All authority, what Satan boasted about, has been broken. He no longer can give it to whom he wants. I can give it to whom I want. Does this make sense to you? Jesus can put you where he wants to put you. I want you to go forth and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What is the ultimate game of thrones in the world? There's going to be sheep nations, and there's going to be goat nations. And if you can accept it, heaven right now, third heaven, is in the process of invading earth in the last days. Satan's realm is right here. And the Bible says in Haggai that I will shake the heavens, and the earth why is the heavens being shaken the realm of third heaven where jesus throne is an is an unshakable kingdom the bible says you are receiving an unshakable kingdom well if it's an unshakable kingdom evidently it doesn't shake but there is a realm which is second heaven we wrestle not with flesh and blood but with spiritual wickedness in heavenly places what's happening is god himself is returning to take possession of earth which was purchased by his blood As he does so, he's passing into the realm where hell has dominated earth. He is removing from power those principalities and powers and dominions. He's shaking them out of their position, which is why it says in Hebrews 12, the shaking is something God has promised. A promise, my friend, is positive, not negative. What God is saying is, I promise you, I am going to visit the earth and return And as I'm coming back, I will shake out of position every militating throne, dominion, and principality that militates against me. I will shake them out. And as they're shaken out, yes, the earth is going to be shaken. It's going to get darker on one part, but upon you my light shall come. Darkness covers the earth because these powers are coming down. But upon you my light will shine because God says, as the shaking happens, don't get shook up, because I'm shaking hell out of position. The shaking that comes to America is to shake Satan out of position. But what does it allow liberty to? The people of God that are an unshakable kingdom so that you can be put on demonstration. Does that make sense to you? So as a prophetic church, I say, let God continue to build houses of worship that are dynamic apostolic partnerships with the body of Christ. As you go forth into the culture, let the anointing of God equip you to go up. Be wary of this, beware of this. What you bow to on the way up controls you at the top. So, the reason why we run closely, the reason why the men's fellowships are the way they are, the reason why the women's fellowships are the way they are, the reason why you're building a unique culture is an ecclesia is a small group of people mutually accountable to each other, living in transparent fellowship. So that as you go up, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, up the mountain, you're keeping an eye on each other and keeping your hearts open so that Satan cannot take out the governing agency he's raising up. Well, that's uh, that's all I have to say. I'm sorry I didn't tell you any about these products and these other things, but... We'll come back at another time. There's a a PowerPoint. You guys have a PowerPoint you can put up there? It shows you. We got resources for people if you want to get them. My life is committed to helping the body of Christ come into convergence with the end time call of God. For the harvest of souls has never been greater as the Reformation has never been stronger. We're not not missing the harvest. I'm actually seeing more people get saved with this message than ever before because suddenly the church is relevant to what's happening rather than trying to be a sideshow. God bless
0: you. Thank you, Pastor. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com